0: This is Transforming Culture, an MBC Podcast. Next episode of Transforming Culture. We're glad you've joined us. This season of eight episodes is moving quickly, and we're excited to be talking with Dr. Bernard Mukwavi about pluralism how it is that we manage living in a world with so many different faiths and beliefs, and what that means for us as Christians. Bernard has a lot of experience, as you'll hear during our conversation, and I was really impressed with the thoughtfulness that he brought to his answers and the encouragement to the folks who were in the audience last summer. And I think that translates really well into this episode as well. Bernard serves as the Dean of Canadian Baptist Seminary, as well as the District Minister of the British Columbia Baptist Conference. He has extensive missionary, teaching, and pastoral experience in Zambia, Holland, and Canada. His passion is to empower churches to fulfill the Great Commission and the Great Commandment in their communities and beyond. In his spare time, Bernard loves to take walks, hike, golf, and read. That's enough for me. It's always about hearing what the teachers have to say. So let's go now to the discussion with Dr. Mukwavi recorded this past July at Muskoka Bible Center.
1: So confident faith is the assurance of one's belief when you are sure of what you believe. So you are confident of your belief within these other beliefs. You come to say, well, I am confident in my faith. And the idea is that you are able to interact with people, to engage them in a dialogue without being intimidated. And you are able to talk uh, comfortably because you know who you are and what you believe and that it is true what you believe. But then you should be able to engage others without feeling threatened. You can be able to talk with them. Now, when you read Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, and just part of verse one, uh, confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. That is faith. So confident faith. So when you talk about faith, so faith is, is a reality. Faith is not in the future, faith is in the present. And I'll be able to explain this a little further Christian faith does not exist in a vacuum. It is a response to God's revelation. I have trouble with people who say, well, Christians, they, you know, this is just a matter of faith. You cannot prove God exists. There is no God. You cannot tell us. You cannot show us that God exists. So it's just a matter of faith. What they're saying is that you do this out of ignorance. You, you, know, you are superstitious. There is nothing out there. It's just a matter of faith. And I disagree with that statement, and I'll I'll show you why. You see, Christian faith finds its foundation in God. Christian faith is anchored in God. It is active in the present, serving as an anchor for hope. Because we have hope, we are confident of the future. We know the future is gonna be good. But hope has to be anchored to faith. Faith is in the now, in the present. Now, faith does not exist on its own in the vacuum. It is anchored into God. Are you following that? So faith depends on the character of God himself. So we are anchored in God. And It is through our faith that we possess hope, while hope resides in the future, because nobody hopes for what they already have. But faith we already have is in the present. It's certainty, The certainty of hope is, of course, from Faith which is anchored in God himself. So therefore, the Christian faith is characterized by a secure faith or belief in God and an acceptance of his will as revealed to us through the Christian scriptures. It entails a firm belief in the God who is the supreme being, the creator of all things. Through his creation and through the word of God, and ultimately through Jesus Christ, he has revealed himself to us. So, faith is connected to revelation. You don't believe into something that has not been revealed to you. Christians believe in God because God has revealed himself to them. Let me also tell you about Jesus. When Jesus rose from the dead, the disciples did not just believe him blindly. The Bible said he proved himself. He gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. So Christians are not stupid. They think, they question. If you have to believe something without questioning, Then you have a problem. So, and the Bible does show us when you read through the Bible, it does show us the people that have followed God, believed God, they questioned if it is you, show me. So, therefore, like Abraham, when God spoke to him, revealed himself to him, he believed that word right there in the present. And yet what God told him had to do with the future, but he believed there's a God. There's this God who has said, leave your people, leave your land, go to, to the place that I'm going to show you. He believed it. He did not just believe something that does not exist Are you following so far? So for Christians, faith is not merely a set of academic beliefs or mental exercises, but a way of life. It is a living and transformation of faith anchored in the true and living God whom we have come to know out of an encounter with him. Now, when we lived in Europe, I had a faith crisis. I was then in the middle of taking some courses and interacting with the books written by uh, German uh, theologians. And it, it showed how liberal some of these theologians had become, whereby God was not important. God did not exist. I remember driving home from my classes on a Friday afternoon. The classes would end around one. And I was driving, going to our place. We lived in a place called Vikenze. It's like city on on the sea, but you know, Vikenze, just outside Amsterdam. I was discouraged. I was a missionary and discouraged. So as I drove, I parked my vehicle. I went straight to sleep. I didn't even say hi to my wife. That's how discouraged I was. So I just went to sleep because my faith had been shattered. I doubted whether this God even exists. And as I lay on my bed, you have to know something. I was a preacher, and that night... I was supposed to be speaking in the city of Alkmaar, recorded. Alkmaar. Those of you been to Holland, that's where he goes, watched people making cheese. So I was preaching. I was supposed to be having a revival meeting. People were going to come from all over to hear me, and there I was having a faith crisis. Are you following me? So I'm 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 laying there. And then after I you know, when I woke up, I opened my eyes something happened, it's like God lifted me and reminded me of an encounter that I had with him and said, explain that, I could not explain it. There is no way of explaining that encounter because it was, it was him, it was God. So I said, wow, he is real. So I got up, we had a supper, never told my wife about my crisis, nobody knew except me and God. We got in the vehicle, I spoke at this place and people came in front to give their lives to Jesus. But something happened. I think it was at this event that a woman started walking to the front, just like this, and as she was walking Halfway, she collapsed, fell to, to the ground, and I'm thinking, that's weird. And uh, later, I was told that when she was walking, I don't know what intentions she had, you know. so I didn't know whether she was coming to attack me or what was happening. When she came halfway, there was a light that struck her to the ground. It's like God was making a point. I remember Paul having that experience, right? And uh, so that woman was prayed for, and, uh, you know, uh, you know we, we were gone. We, we heard the story later. In fact, the people that prayed for this woman, they, they have now moved to Calgary. They, they live in Canada, and, uh, you know, we, we were together in the Netherlands. So, So when I speak to you that your faith is anchored in God, It has to be a God that you have had an encounter with. Christianity is not just a set of beliefs. You don't just kind of get academic assent. You believe believe certain things. Okay, I believe this, I believe this, without a change of heart. That's why Nicodemus is taught, unless you are born again, you cannot see or enter the kingdom of God so the god we worship is a reality he is there he has revealed himself through creation he has revealed himself through his word which has been powerful i don't have time to go into details how people have been transformed i know one man who was an atheist who took this bible to North Africa from England, he was, that was in the Second World War, to read it as a work of philosophy. And before he finished it, he was on his knees repenting and giving his life to Jesus. And he became a pastor in England, and I met him. He taught me one time, or twice, and he's since died, but so you know. Now. In general, as I was as I was uh, reading this, um, I, I had to do some some research, read, and find out what some people have put. So these are not my words. The, these words here are things that I I've, I you know I, I found what somebody has put down. What belief is? That belief is a mental state or conviction in which an individual holds something to be true or accepts the existence of something without necessarily having direct proof or evidence. There's one part where you see they're targeting Christianity where it says accepts the existence of something without necessarily having direct proof or evidence. But I have proof and evidence that my God lives through my encounter with him. Now, belief often involves trust confidence, and the subjective acceptance of an idea, concept, or proposition. So you can believe an idea, you can believe a concept, or a proposition, but that is going to be subjective. So this is not really objective, it's very subjective uh, only to you. And you know, that part I have found to be true that you know, there, there are certain belief systems that are there, you, you, know, you notice they're really not objective, they're very subjective, and we'll see. Now, beliefs are shaped by personal experiences, like I told you about my own personal experience. By the way, you need to understand that I come from a non-Christian family. My parents were not Christians, I had no concept of God, I had no concept of Christianity. I come from a family of 14. And uh, so I didn't know as a young kid who God was because my parents never talked about God. They didn't believe in God. I, dis- I discovered, oh, God found me in a children's club and I learned about him. And through my life, my family says, all of them became Christians one by one, and a number of them became pastors, uh, that you know, and elders in churches, church planters, and you know, they all point to this little boy, growing up, and they saw Jesus in my life, and some of them could not believe in Christianity because of the legacy of uh, uh, colonialism in the area, because it was so tied to. Uh, Christianity to western uh, the Western world, and you need to understand something about this as as we go on so personal experiences and cultural influences, religious teachings, logical reasoning, emotional factors all play in the role of developing a belief, like your children are learning from you and they are developing those uh, Uh, Beliefs. And then these develop people's worldview. So individuals would have a worldview because of the belief that is developing within them. So beliefs can range from religious or spiritual convictions to scientific theories. And I need to stress that scientific theories. Scientific theories are theories, but mostly they are taught as if they are objective truth, but they are theories. So people can have a belief in a theory of science and teach it like truth. So you need to realize it's it's just a belief system there. And they can also have uh, uh, moral principles, you know, just the area of morality. It's, It's a belief because because of their worldview, then they develop this belief that kind of uh, guides their moral behavior, moral standard. It's just It's just a subjective belief that they have. So then they lead their lives in a certain way because of the belief that they have developed. That belief could have come because of influence from the classroom or from the peers or from the media of just popular culture. So then they develop a a belief system and they begin to believe that and it shapes their worldview. Are you following? And this is what's happening in Canada today. A lot of people have been sensitized to belief systems that are wrong. But they have become popular in our culture. If you don't believe those, people laugh at you because you have to believe in order to be accepted. It's like, it's it's what's in style, it's fashionable to believe all these different things that people are believing, all right? So, it could also include political ideologies and personal opinions. Many people just wanna root others, you know, by their personal opinions. They impose them on people. Now as a Christian and this is how we talk about belief belief is to accept the truth of a of a person or reality normally on the basis of proven reliability of the object like god has proved himself that's why we believe him that's why i believe in god so This is not subjective. It works from the point of uh, being objective. In the Bible, belief is usually directed towards God or Christ and implies trust and reliance upon him. So my worldview as a Christian will be different from Somebody who says they're not a Christian. But that does not mean they don't have belief. Everyone has belief. Everyone has belief. Everyone is religious. Even an atheist is religious. Because that is the same as religion. So what do we mean by worldview? James Sauer, in his book, The Universe Next Door, defines a worldview in this way. A worldview is a set of uh, presuppositions or assumptions which we hold consciously or subconsciously about the basic makeup of our world. That is a worldview. And that is affected by our belief. Our belief determines our worldview. Now, I have watched people in the church and uh, interestingly, I have found Christians who are non-believers oxmaron, and I, I usually say Christians are the worst non-believers there are. Probably not all of them, and because they've been affected by the belief system around them. So they say they're Christian, they say they're going to heaven, they say they believe in God. But when adversity comes, then you notice. Then you say, are they Christians? Are you following? Now, look at this. Someone has said this. People may not live what they profess, but they will always live what they believe. If you want to see what somebody believes, it's not from what they say, it's how they act, especially in difficult situations. Does your God exist? Then why do you act the way you act as if he doesn't when you are in trouble? There are various beliefs that I should throw out there quickly, and uh, I'd forgotten to look at my time here. There is also, you know, let me throw these uh, beliefs that you probably thought I was going to talk about. So we do have uh, various uh, religious beliefs. I will just name them. We cannot define all of them. I do have here like the founder of each one of these uh, religions and what they believe. So we do have Judaism, Zoroastrianism. Now some people don't even know that there's a religion called Zoroastrianism. Now how many of you, just be honest, how many of you are hearing this for the first time, Zoroastrianism, you see there? Yeah. This is an ancient religion that was happening during the time of uh, the Babylonian Empire, so you'll find some things that are mentioned in, in Judaism are uh, mentioned in, in uh, uh, Zoroastrianism, including sacrificing uh, animals. And this this was very prevalent in, in Persia, present day Iran. and. They are still there, and uh, some of it's believed some of the people, the Aryans, moved into India, and it could have affected the belief in Hinduism and all that. So they all that connect. So you can read about Zoroastrianism, and then of course there is Christianity, and there is Islam. Then there is Baha'i, and. You know about Judaism, how God found Abraham, Zoroastrianism, uh, founded by Zoroaster, Christianity uh, by Christ, of course. Uh, anchored to the Old Testament, Islam by the prophet Muhammad, and then Baha'i was, was founded as a way of bringing all these religions together. Let's all so just unite and love one another, and they created uh, this uh, religion. And there was a time when in, in Europe and North America people found it fashionable to join the Baha'i faith. Then we have Hinduism, it's been there a long time. Then we have Buddhism that came out of Hinduism and Jainism, Sikhism. Sikhism brought together kind of uh, uh, Hinduism and trying to bring in Hinduism and Islam together. In fact, Sikhism is a monotheistic uh, religion. Buddhism does not believe in deity. And then there is Taoism. Confucianism, Confucianism, which is a philosophy mostly in, in Asia, and Shinto, and then of course, New Age, spirituality, it can come from everywhere. You know, m- most Christians today are practicing New Age without even knowing. And then, of course, there's a religion I call secularism, another one I call naturalism. Secularism is a separation of, you see, the church, Christianity, from everything else. It's like privatize, keep it private. Don't bring it in the workplace, keep it to yourself. Separate these things. And the church should not influence uh, the government, and the government should not influence the church. There's this bet that goes on. It's got its own history. In France, why that started, and it's different from secularism in North America, or at least in the United States. Uh, in, In France, secularism was protecting the people from the church Because before this, the bishops were terrible people—the Roman Catholic bishops. They they were holding slaves, you know, the peasants, and treating them really bad. And they—they were like very close to the to the kings. While people, the common people, were suffering. So when the revolution took place, they literally grabbed lands and buildings from these bishops and from some of the kings, and the common people uh, revolted and killed some people to bring liberty. It was from France where the Statue of Liberty came from as a gift. It was that type of liberty because the church had done so much evil that the people had to revolt the Roman Catholic Church. So secularism there was to protect the people from the church. How sad is that? In the United States, it was to protect the church from the government. So there's a dance that goes. In India, they have a certain type of secularism as well. And then we have naturalism. Now, naturalists doubt the existence of God, arguing that if God cannot be seen, he must not exist. However... God cannot be confined to a laboratory for study. That's me saying this. A God subjected to such scrutiny would cease to be God, and anyone claiming to possess complete knowledge of God through such means would be assuming a divine role. If you can put God in a lab and study him, what does that make you? Then you are bigger than this God. God. So when you think about naturalism, a philosophical worldview that asserts that the natural world is all that exists and that everything can be explained through natural laws and processes. It rejects the existence of supernatural or metaphysical entities such as God or supernatural forces and emphasizes the importance of empirical evidence and scientific inquiry in understanding the world. In other words, there is no God out there because we can't see. So I tell people that you have to explain the origin of the universe. Did the universe bring itself into being, which is self-generating? It generated itself out of nothing. What does it make the universe? What does it make it? If it came out of nothing, it makes it God. Somebody created something. I don't buy in the notion, in fact, it's not scientifically proven, in the notion that there is no creator. Nobody has ever proved that there is no creator. They've never proved that there's no creator. They're still trying to find. As long as they can prove it, you are still trying to find out. The evidence lies in God himself. We don't merely assume God's existence. Like, I do not say, well... I, I assume God exists, therefore, you know, I don't know if he's there, therefore I worship what I don't know. You remember the discussion between Jesus and the woman, the Samaritan woman? You Samaritans worship what you don't know. We worship what we know. We. We believe in his existence because he has revealed himself to us through the creation of the universe and through Jesus Christ, his son. So as I bring all this to you, you need to have a posture then in trying to develop a confident faith. Number one, develop a solid foundation. Get to know what you believe Why you believe? I hope you have an encounter with God. God is real. Many people used to talk to me that, you know what? Don't emphasize experience. I have trouble with that. Let me tell you why. I believe that theology originates from experience. When you have had an encounter with God, then you have to sit down and reflect on it and write it down, that is theology. But it comes after you've had that. And I don't have time to, to, to give you this, uh, but the examples that you have of, of Abraham and Moses, and we could go on, and on telling you these people had an encounter with God. And then Moses wrote something based on that encounter. Abraham gave it to the children based on that encounter. So you need to deepen your spiritual practices as a Christian, engage in a self-reflection where you ask yourself, what do I believe? Why do I believe? And and, and tomorrow, I can't give you everything today. Tomorrow I talk about why I believe in Jesus, having come from an unchristian background. Seek truth with humility to learn. When you have grounded yourself, then you can interact with other people with an open mind. Don't be uh, threatened. Find out. Okay, this is what I believe. I want to learn. Genuinely, you want to learn what they, they believe in, not because you want to attack them. No, you want to know. And, and then uh, engage in interfaith dialogue. As you do that, you need to practice love and respect. When you see a Muslim, don't think, oh, I see a terrorist. You see a, a Hindu, oh. Don't, don't do that. You're supposed to love people. Are you hearing me? You're supposed to love people. These are not your enemies. We exist together into this world. They are human beings. You and I were equally lost and God found us. So how are they going to come to know Christ if they have no contact with Christians? Are you hearing that? So be grounded and then do cross-cultural ministry as, as you interact with people. Let me close with this very quickly, uh, because I know you have questions now. I was thinking about lessons from the Bible, people that interacted with other people with different faiths or belief systems. And here, look at this. I talked about Jesus and the Samaritan woman. Jesus makes contact. What does he do? He asks the woman for water to get the conversation going. What can you ask a Muslim? What can you ask a Hindu or a Sikh? Is there something you can ask? Somebody told me this morning, his friend, his neighbor or friend, Muslim friend, you know, had a funeral, and he said, hey, can I use your vehicle? I have a funeral, how long is the funeral? 10 minutes, oh yeah, I can take you. And he says, oh, can you come with me? He goes, that's contact. And then from there, the, you know, he tells me, the friend says, oh, well, I, can, I think I can join your men's, your men's uh, fellowship at your church. That's contact. He, does, he was not preaching at him. They developed a connection to begin having dialogue. Are you here? Somebody told me that story. Oh, there, there, thank you. For, yeah, that's a power of story. So this is what I'm talking about. And then think about Paul and the Athenians. Paul goes to Athens and he finds lots of idols and he connects with these people. You know how he does connect with them? He praises them. He recognizes your people are religious people. I even see that you have an altar to an unknown God. He uses that as his contact. I want to talk to you about this God who's unknown. He is the God I worship. You say unknown, I, I know him. And he tells them about Jesus. He didn't say, he didn't rebuke them for, oh, you sinners, you, he didn't do that. He says, you are religious, you have unknown God. I can tell you about him. There's a bridge. And then remember Jesus with a, a Phoenician woman. The woman who had a daughter who had an evil spirit who had heard about the miracles Jesus was performing amongst the Jewish people, but she was a Gentile, so she asked Jesus, can you come and help me, my daughter? And then Jesus makes a statement that will surprise you, but he's using it as a teaching point. He says, I was sent to the house of Israel. In other words, you know, can't go to the to the dogs, that's how they referred to the Gentiles. You know what the woman did, she said, that is discrimination, I am out of here, I'm going to sue you, she doesn't say that. She says, even dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. That's what I'm asking. And Jesus says, I have never found this faith. He wanted to teach that point and that woman's child gets healed. So listen carefully. What power does your God have that other uh, religious people will see and say, can you help me? Did you hear what I'm saying? Can they come to you and say, can you pray for me? I have had situations where somebody in you know in Sikhism has come to ask Christians for prayer because they have heard that the Christian God answers prayer. Does your God answer prayer? Hey, does your God answer prayer? All right. Have you ever heard the story of Naaman in Second Kings chapter 5? The the king of uh, uh, That was King Aram, actually, um, the king of the, yeah, he was, yeah, king of Aram. He had sent people to go attack Israel, and then they brought slaves with them. And one of the slaves they took was a young woman who was taken by this uh, general or commander of the Aramean army. His name was Naaman. You know his story? He was powerful but he had a skin disease. Now this slave girl knew that my God can heal this disease. That was the point of contact. That's how the connection came. And you know somehow the, prophet, the king heard in Israel he started crying saying I don't want to deal with this person and the prophet says you know what? What's the problem? Tell that Naman to go deep himself you know in the, in the water and this, you know, it was the dead water in Israel and he says, I cannot do that. You know the story. But that was the connection.
0: Dr. Mukwavi was one of the most thoughtful speakers I've had the chance to engage with on this topic of pluralism. And I'm grateful for all the life experience that he has, which brings him to this place here and now. We dove deeper into a conversation about what it's like to live in a multi-faith world and particularly how to love and engage with our neighbors who don't believe the same thing as us, which you can catch right now as a Q&A as a part of this episode. Bernard, thank you so much for being here with us on the podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, really appreciated getting to hear all of your wisdom as you were speaking about confident faith in a world with many religions. And that's a that's a heavy topic, right? Because right. I think we live in an age where. So many people just want to be comfortable with what they believe. And, right. You know, it's not nice or kind or loving to impose my views on someone else. Right. So, how dare you impose your views on me? Right. Um, and that's a real question that I think a lot of people have these days. And mm-hmm. maybe just as we start, I'm wondering if you could talk about that in a world where culturally it's not acceptable to impose one's views on someone else. How do mm-hmm. you wrestle with that when we are so confident in our faith in Jesus?
1: Right. I, th- I think the thing is not to impose your views. I don't think Christ has sent us to impose our views on mm-hmm. other people. You just need to, to lead a life of a Christian. And it's interacting with people, building a relationship with people and answering the questions that come or finding common ground mm-hmm. uh, in order to communicate your faith after understanding their faith or where they're coming from. So it's about sharing. Sh- you're sharing. You're talking yeah. uh, together
0: so many people interpret the great commission in Matthew 28, you know, they say, well, go and make many disciples, make disciples of many nations. Mm -hmm. They see that as an evangelistic call, which I think it is, Mm -hmm. but they see that also as um, proclamation or, or, you know, kind of going out and and kind of clearly stating the gospel. And yet I also hear you advocating for, you know, sharing in almost a different kind of way. Could you talk maybe about the difference between street corner evangelism with a yeah. preacher and all of that. And, yeah. you know, you referenced tonight in our Q&A with the audience, just driving someone to a funeral.
1: Yeah. You know, um, we have, you know, in evangelism and discipleship, we talk about three Ps. The first one is presence. You just have to be present. Mm. Presence means you build contact, you build a relationship with the people. So you, you have that uh, proclamation that comes later after you have established your presence. So you have to establish that authenticity, the people come to know you, they trust you, and then you can proclaim what it is that you believe. And then you can come to persuasion when you see the context cause for now pressing somebody to making a decision. Now, if you just stand uh, at a corner and begin to yell at people, people just think you are crazy. <laughs> We need to think about the context. Like in the Old Testament, when the prophets spoke, they spoke to people who had an understanding of the religion they were talking about. So when you are speaking to people who don't have an understanding, there's no connection, you have to begin from some point of connection before you can explain uh, your faith. Maybe you perform an act of kindness, and people are going to ask, why are you doing this? And you can talk about why you do what you do
0: a future episode we're going to talk about is post-Christian Canada and how we live in a world that's no longer Christendom, Yeah. especially in Canada, we've moved on. Mm-hmm. Um, not, I'm not happy about that, but yeah, it's the yeah. way it is. Mm-hmm. And it is interesting hearing you speak about, um, presence before proclamation because yeah. if we mix those two up mm-hmm. in a post-Christian world where no one has the context for why we're preaching from the street corner, mm-hmm, it mm-hmm. can be very disconcerting. Exactly. Um, you know, I think you made the joke earlier tonight about, um, Talking to lions versus right. talking to dogs, right, <laughs> right, right, um, right. You know, culturally, it would be very strange if yeah. someone came to Canada or to the U.S. and saw us talking to our dogs. Yeah, going, why are they talking to an animal? What's exactly, here? exactly. I love that analogy when you compare it to, you know, a street corner evangelist or something. Without the context, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it is very con- confusing for people. Exactly. Um, yeah, yeah. We talked a little bit about this in the in the Q and A with the audience, and I'd I'd like to go back there. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of people who uh, want to share the gospel with their friends and neighbors of a variety of religions, mm-hmm. and uh, sometimes we can have a healthy respect. I know uh, you shared a little bit about you know uh, having a friend uh, who shared gave some of you some of their religious text to you, and you yeah. gave the Bible to them. And yeah, my wife had a similar experience. She she had someone who became a Mormon in mm-hmm. her life, mm-hmm. and she had given them a Bible, and and this friend gave back a Book of Mormon and said, "I right. appreciate if you read this." Yeah. Um. And I was thinking about this you know, sometimes it's very easy to identify differences, uh, in, in a religion or a faith that is far away from Christianity, right? We think mm-hmm. about Islam or Buddhism or Hinduism. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet, sometimes there are cultural like cults or sects that are very close to Christianity. Mm-hmm. Some of mm-hmm. them are almost indistinguishable until you start doing deep theological work. Exactly. Uh, talk to me a little bit about what it's like trying to help someone or engage with someone who has got a faith that's very similar on the surface to Christianity. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. once you dig deeper, you know, you start to run into some real issues.
1: I think that, uh, as as I said, you need to solidify your own faith and you need to do, an, like, uh, build the foundation first. Yeah, build the foundation, but you need to also do an introspection. You need to look inside you, see what you believe, why you believe it. You understand that, and then you get to see what they actually believe. So you might have to understand uh, the origin of their faith, yeah. who the founder of the movement is or the sect would be, and the context in which they founded that, and and what need was met in that situation. And then compare it to your faith and see how your faith is, is grounded in Christ and how it answers their need. And let them see the difference there. And uh, maybe they'll be able to change their mind and believe what you believe after they see that they've been believing something that is uh, erroneous.
0: Yeah. Part of, part of what you talked about tonight. Had to do with an encounter with God. Mm-hmm. You, know, you shared your story. I think it was in the Netherlands, if I remember correctly. Yeah, about, yeah. You know, just feeling so discouraged and all of this, but having yeah. an encounter with God. I mm-hmm. can say that in my life, I've had one of those encounters where mm-hmm. I deeply felt the presence of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, almost physically, mm-hmm. uh, and that was mm-hmm. such a powerful moment for me. Exactly, uh, and it's yeah. something that actually became a little bit of like an Ebenezer, like a touchstone for me in my life. When all I right. say, "What am I doing?" <laughs> yeah, like, no, remember that. Don't, yeah, don't lose that. Um, what would you say to someone who would profess Christian faith Mm -hmm. and they deeply love the Lord Jesus, but they haven't felt an encounter like that? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, What, what does a person like that do? Are they wrong for not feeling that encounter? Uh, Do you know what I mean?
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, it's not that you, 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 you have to feel the encounter. You don't create that encounter. Mm -hmm. It's a genuine encounter. You know, uh, Jesus having a conversation with Nicodemus, he says, unless you are born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. So that, that's the beginning of that encounter. The new birth is in itself an encounter with God where God performs the miracle. The miracle of regeneration is, is, is not just uh, uh, professing some prof- proposition statements. It is actually belief that happens in your heart. You would know. You would know that life is born in you. And that's why uh, Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, when anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Uh, the old has passed, the new has come. The, pe- the person would know when they have had this encounter. Now, in, in many countries, we have cultural Christianity mm-hmm. as opposed to real Christianity. So we have Christians who are nominal Christians. They've never really been regenerated. So when you talk about the regeneration, it is the work of the Holy Spirit. It's a miracle that happens that I cannot explain, but people will say, "Wow, I'm a new man."
0: Mm. My daughter is nine; she's mm-hmm. turning ten this year. Yeah, um, and she she would have made a profession of faith mm-hmm. about a year and a half ago now, which was incredibly encouraging for us mm-hmm. as parents. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, she has a childlike faith. She's only nine, mm-hmm. and I I don't expect her to have deep theological understanding, but mm-hmm. Um, I did see a change in her, Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. for better or for worse. It was Mm -hmm. for better in this case.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um,
0: Sometimes children, and and this is my own story, is that you know my parents would say I made a profession of faith when I was three or four years old. And now that I've had two children go through that age, I kind of think, how could any child, three or four years old, make a true understandable profession of faith? Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. Is there anything in this encounter, like if it happens at a very young age, how can we encourage children who've made a profession at four five, six, you know, my, for my daughter, it was eight to, to really hang on to that when maybe they're almost too young to remember that moment.
1: Mm-hmm. My children, uh, t- t- two of our three children had an encounter with God. I think one was six. The other one must have been probably five. And, uh, like I was preaching to everybody else and you know, and I preach to children. I, I I go to different parts of the world. They you know they ask me to speak to adults during a conference. Then I say where are the kids. They say oh they are having their own conference. I say I like to go there first before I speak to you, and then I'll speak to the children, uh, because a child can hear the story, and I I can tell the story in a very simple way, uh, like you speak in simple terms to children, you know, you speak the language, the vocabulary that they'll be able to understand. So I was able one time to come from seminary. I was having my my classes, I, I you know, I felt in my heart I needed to share the gospel with my six-year-old and my five-year-old. So I said, hey, I need to talk to you. And I told them the story about Jesus. I explained what it meant to be born again and what Jesus does and how this miracle works. I shared and they wanted to believe. And they said, yeah, we want to believe. And I knew they were kids and we prayed together. They gave their lives to Christ, our youngest born. Had such a powerful encounter that whenever she would see trouble, or even in our home, she would go into our room, close the door, and she would get on her knees and begin to pray. So she, this is the, the one that was here this uh, yeah. this weekend. Yeah. Uh, she she, you know, even up to now, she follows Christ. She, you know, it started when she was five years old. Wow. And her sister, who was six, uh, is now one of uh, the influences in British Columbia, she gets invited to all these places just influencing other people. And she, later she did go to Bible college to study, um, for the ministry. And yet she gave a life to Christ at six years old.
0: It doesn't happen always like that. Hey, no. And I, I think when I think about the parents who maybe we spoke to tonight or who are listening to the podcast now, um, there's there's children who make very great professions of faith at a young age. Maybe they're baptized, but they wander, and that's really hard. And, and you know, a part of my family story. There's I have three uh, three siblings, three brothers. There's three of us. I'm the oldest, um, and the middle child, my, my brother, has chosen to walk away from faith. And we love him dearly. He's a great person, um, but he is, if I'm, you know, I think being completely transparent, said Jesus is very likely the son of God. I don't want to live by his rules which is honest, it's brutally honest and it's hard for my parents to yeah, hear. Right. Um, and yet this is a child who's made a profession of faith. Mm-hmm. In a world of, m- of many, many religions and faiths and all of that, it can be very distracting and the pull from, mm-hmm. you know, the secularism of the world can be hard, let alone mm-hmm. any other religion. Um, what What would you say to a parent who maybe watched their child grow up in the church and, and live out faith, but then choose to walk away? Um, you know, how would you encourage a parent like that, especially if there's other religions involved, new age mm-hmm, choices mm-hmm. and things like that?
1: What I would say is that the word that was planted in that child does remain in there. Mm-hmm. At some point, they do get into that situation and we can we cannot tell when that is going to happen. When like a prodigal son, they, they come back, they might be 100 years old, when that happens, there might be 70 or 60. We, we don't know. You know, with my children growing up, I was always concerned about them walking away. I saw children of my friends who walked away. So it is always a matter of prayer for my wife and I. And walking away from the faith can happen at any time. Even now, I, I, I think about my children, I pray. People have been walking away from the faith even in their adulthood. We have had pastors who walk away from the faith. They have a so faith hard. crisis and they walk away. And and sometimes people walk away from the faith because of the hurt that they experience, because of things that they they. They witness the things that happen to them in the church or by people that they respect. So there are many issues that might cause somebody to walk away. But, you know, God loves our children. Whether they walk away or not, they're still His uh, His possession and they are objects of His love. And the best is just keep praying for your child and don't treat them any different let them keep seeing Christ in you mm. and be a father be a mother be a parent to your child mm.
0: yeah one of the things I really appreciated that you talked about tonight was you talked about Islam you talked about Zoroastrianism which I thought was great yeah uh, you know different different religions but you also talked about naturalism mm-hmm. and mm. this kind of scientific theory All right and I'm I was curious and you don't know this about me but I know this and mm. some of our podcast listeners may know this that my dad has a very deep background in science. He's a PhD in physics. Okay. He loves the Lord deeply. Yeah. He loves science very yeah. much. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think he would have appreciated what you said about theories of science versus theories, you know, and all of that. Mm-hmm. Do you think that science and faith, science being sometimes feels like another religion, right? Yeah. Where people put their faith in something. Yeah. Do you think that science and Christian faith can work together harmoniously? Or do you think there's problems there that we need to consider?
1: Absolutely. I don't think that faith and science are exclusive I, I believe that faith and science can work together i mean people people want to- others to believe that Christianity is unreasonable. Christianity is reasonable. Like I believe in Christianity based on what I see out there. So there are physicists who have believed in God because of what they see out there and they know they're still discovering things. We're still getting to know the universe. There's so much to know and we have not arrived. So I, you know, Christians shouldn't feel intimidated or threatened by science, uh, in fact, science has history in Christianity. Uh, the first scientists were actually Christians who were wanting to discover. God has created us this way to be able to discover, to find things. We are created um, by him. We are created in his image. And so we have been given this ability to make things. This ability comes from him. So yeah, science is uh, science, and uh, faith are not mutually exclusive.
0: You talked at the end of your talk about connection and engagement, you know, and and we've talked a little bit tonight just now about um, proclamation and presence and persuasion. Mm -hmm. Um, How would you encourage someone in a day and age where engagement and connection is actually, like we have social media which makes us feel connected, but we're not really that much more connected. I might know about your life, but Mm -hmm. I don't know how you're doing. Mm -hmm. How Mm -hmm. would you encourage people in this day and age where there's this lack of connection, this lack of community, People almost seem afraid of those. How would you encourage that connection in that community? I, I, I think I almost know the answer based on what we've talked about tonight, but I'd yeah, love to hear you say it.
1: Right. You know... Uh we have to find connecting points Uh, and in the, in the context in which we are, we need to find out how people make community. Now, if you live in the same city, uh, even though people are on social media, they do actually love to get together in community. Like I see this in Vancouver, people go out for coffee. They have uh, sometimes groups that, you know, they do things together. There are events that they do together. So we build community and, uh, even though people are on social media, you can still interact with one another. People do visit each other's homes. Uh, you could connect. Somebody might be having a funeral or there's a wedding or there's an illness in the family they, or there's something they are celebrating a birthday. When you have started to build friendship, you might get invited to one of those or you could be the one to invite people to some of your, the events in your family and and then you do things together. You just build relationships.
0: What if there's someone who is truly afraid of that connection? Um, You know, the the example coming out of the pandemic and all of that, people who've stayed home for 30 years. Uh um, Even now, there's some people at my church who are uh, nervous about attending in-person services, Yeah. uh, maybe because of the pandemic, but also social anxiety. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Is there a way to break through that anxiety, that nervousness and reach people, especially in light of you know what the gospel says about telling other people about who Jesus is
1: right i again if if people um, are not coming out of their houses they don't want to get together there's always the phone call that can be made to say just checking in how are you doing uh is there anything i can do or uh, do you have anything i can pray for you can offer certain services that you can actually uh use to build connection with those people uh so we can we can do that some people have uh they have made food deliveries to people if they didn't want to go to the grocery store or they you know they have offered to go do their garden do whatever it is there is always a connecting point i think the secret is to find out what that connecting point is and then use it
0: last question you've been very generous with your time today um you know, we talked about confident faith in a world of many beliefs. Mm-hmm. I'm curious for you what the the number one thing about Christianity that gives you confidence. You right. know, if you had to pick that one thing, and there's so many, and yeah, I, this yeah. is a very unfair question mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. many, many ways, but mm-hmm. if you could encourage our listeners with, here's the thing that drives me, mm-hmm. you know, what would you say?
1: It is assurance of salvation. Mm-hmm the Christian religion or Christianity, which I have trouble calling a religion because for me, it's a relationship. It's not just a set of beliefs and practices. It is it is a personal relationship. Now, Christianity is the only one that offers this afterlife assurance Of and also salvation from uh, the bondage of sin. And every other religion talks about things you can do for yourself to make yourself a better person. And every one of us have found out that we fell in all those areas in wanting to become better people. We just discovered that there's a beast in every one of us that causes us to do evil. Mm -hmm. And that's why people have done evil in the name of religion, because religion tries to control others. Now, true Christianity brings liberation, brings liberty to people that they can worship God uh, in truth and in spirit.
0: I love it. Bernard, thank you so much for the time. All right, Uh, You've been generous in so many ways. We've been really blessed by your ministry here at MBC. You know, this will be heard by listeners in October, but uh, just here in July, thank you for your generosity of spirit and your clarity and your wisdom. We'll be praying for you.
1: Thank you, thank you, Luke.
0: We've already reached the end of this episode. Hard to believe that we're almost halfway through our second season of Transforming Culture. Thank you, Dr. Mukwavi, for your insight, wisdom, and willingness to share from your heart about your ministry and service to so many different people. I'm looking forward to hearing from you again someday soon. Bernard has recommended some books for you to read, and you can find those in the show notes of this podcast when you have a chance. Next week, we have Dustin Borland speaking about what it's like to live now and here in a post-Christian Canada. Dustin brings a lot of great thought to our conversation. I'm looking forward to you all hearing that. That episode, like all of our episodes, drops next Monday. If you've enjoyed listening to today's episode, please consider sharing it with a friend, subscribing on your favorite podcast app, or following along on NBC's social media pages. If you have any questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. Transforming Culture is a production of Muskoka Bible Center. It's hosted and produced by Luke LaRock. Editing, sound design, and mixing by Abhishek Varghese. Audio recording by the Summer 2023 AV Team. And the theme song is Citizens by John Guerra. Graphic design by Christina tabakal See you next time for another episode of Transforming Culture. I
2: need to know there is justice That it will roll in it, And that you're building a city